Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock from MCG Quantity Surveyors, your tax depreciation experts. Now, we are talking a little bit about tax today. This is our tax time special, and we're going to talk about self-managed super funds. And we've got an absolute guru accountant who's really in rarefied air when it comes to his knowledge of self-managed super funds and, of course, his enthusiasm for all things tax-related as well. We've got Munzeral Khan from from KHI Partners, who's going to go through self-managed super funds from start to finish. What are they as an entity and how are they set up? What are the costs involved in setting it up and the ongoing costs? What sort of balance should you have before you think about starting a self-managed super fund? Whether it's going to be right for you and how to tell and all the things that you need to know as a property investor to understand self-managed super funds and have a great conversation about about it with your financial planner and your accountant. It's an amazing interview with an amazing guy who's got so much knowledge in the space and is so open with his delivery and his enthusiasm for it. Here's Munzerul. Munzerul Khan, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Absolute privilege. Thank you. You're someone I've actually wanted to get on the podcast for probably three or four years, at least, you know, since I since I knew exactly who you were. But you're such a busy man to pin down, but we've managed to get you today for our special sort of insight as part of our tax series on self-managed super funds. And self-managed super funds are something that property investors know all very well. There's all sorts of uh, industries that encourage people to set up super funds so they can invest in property, uh, spruikers, some of them you could call. Um, but I wanted to get the lowdown on self-managed super funds from yourself, Munzerl, as an expert in that space. Can you start us off with an idea about, is there is this sort of a figure that you think is a minimum amount that someone should have in their super fund before they decide to set up a self-managed super fund? Very good. Very good. Mike, Mike that's 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 a good way to start. And the reason I say this is that it's all about the effectiveness, efficiency, and I suppose the practicality behind it as well. Now, we've seen a whole bunch of self-managed super fund where some providers try to establish it, say, 70 grand, 100 grand, 120, 150, a whole lot of different numbers as such. Now, there is no one number in terms of how much you need to establish a self-managed super fund because it depends on what your investment strategy is, what you wish to do, how you wish to do. But we follow very closely of the regulators, uh, the guidelines, and the guidelines from ASIC is, is that anything below 250, uh, perhaps there is not a whole lot of a value proposition in between the cost and the benefit as such. So that's a sort of a general guideline that we do is that we start with uh, 250 odd grand. We sort of say higher than 250 odd grand that you can have as a combined membership, which is between the, uh, the husband and wife both. Yep. Uh, you can have up to six members, right? But between husband and wife, both, uh, two hundred fifty thousand plus is is where we say it may be worthwhile to discuss. Yeah. So there's no statutory figure to say you have to have X, Y, Z. But I suppose if you're paying someone, you could have a financial advisor that you're paying fifty thousand dollars a year for their brilliant advice. Now, if you've got a balance of a hundred million dollars to invest, that could be minute. But if you've only got a hundred thousand dollars to invest, you've got to cover the cost of paying that person, and the returns aren't going to be there. So, is that probably the best way to consider the value point for setting up that super super fund? 
But absolutely, uh, because I look into that cost and the benefit side of it, right? So I'll give you one analogy in terms of the self-managed super fund. That 250-odd grand is a bit of an ASIC guidelines and higher than that. Higher it is, we we, we do say, right. Uh, but where the guidelines in my mind sort of make sense, where the maths sort of make sense, is that self-managed super fund, when you establish, you've got to have quite clear investment strategy. Why are you establishing it? What's the purpose? What are the investments that you're trying to do? you actually have to sit down with a financial planner to receive this concept called statement of advice. Until that statement of advice is done, one cannot establish a superannuation fund. And uh, the 250 is that if, let's say, someone utilizes for uh, investment property, as an example, is that uh, uh, depending on various matters, but generally speaking, is that you can get up to 80% LVR if your serviceability is there. So 80% LVR means that you use your 250-odd grand for uh, 20% deposit plus 5% incidental means that you can buy, let's say, up to close to about a million-dollar property or maybe slightly lower. But of course, it depends on how much is your superannuation contribution, how much is the income, how much is the rental property income. There's many disclaimers what it depends, but at a very high level, about a million-dollar or so. I compare that with what is the running cost of a self-managed super fund. You've got an accountant's fee, you've got an auditor's fee, and you've got to pay two lots of ASIC fee. And if we generally budget anywhere between, say, four to 5000 to pay for all of those and annual cost, if I divide, let's say, four, four and a half thousand against that million dollar, I get a 0.45% as, as sort of your running cost. Now, one may argue that many of the industry fund ranges anywhere between 0.5 to all the way to 3.5%. So while you've got 250, if you use the leverage, your uh, cost on a leverage gross value seems to be at a level where the cost is what you are already paying on the industry fund, if not a little bit lower. From that perspective, in my mind, cost-wise, around that 250 or a bit more, it makes sense. Yeah, and that's a really good uh, way to look look at it. You've you've got to cover half a percent uh, in. Well, let's say you've got half a percent to assign to the ongoing costs, and then whatever mm. percentage growth you've got on top of that is the growth for the super fund. But to me, it, it seems like the real power is the leverage, right? Because we've gone from a two hundred fifty thousand dollar asset base, which is unleveraged, to now being able to enjoy the returns of perhaps something close to a million dollar property, right? Yeah, and 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 we say that too when our uh, clients want to establish the self managed super fund. We sort of say that look, we're not while we're not financial planners, we can't give you the financial planning advice. And that's where you go through with your statement of advice, whether the super fund is right to you. But what I do share is that I have established my own self-managed super fund. And my logic was exactly what he just said. So if 250 odd grand can be utilized up to a million dollar purchase, I do the maths. And I sort of say that, well, you know, whether the property prices sort of increases anywhere between, say, 5, 7, 10 percent uh, on average on a growth. And and it's poetic to say it when the interest rate is so high and the market is taking a little bit of negative downturn, but believe me, over a period of time, on average, not every year, is that around that 7% or so return is probably not too assertive to ask for. Mm. But if we conservatively, we say that let's even make it a 6% compounding return over a period of time, I do the maths and I sort of say that, well, 6% on a million dollar is about 60000 that 60,000 on your initial 250 odd uh, grand is about 24%. So uh, the math tells is that there is a 24% return. Now, 
the trick behind that math is that exactly the point that is said, the leverage. Leverage is a bit of a double-edged sword. If we use it in the right way, it does really good. And if it goes into the wrong way, it can have same level of incremental negative impact as well. Mm. So what that means is that one can establish the super fund, one can do all of those things, but still at the end comes back the product, the property that you buy. Is it a right property? Is it really increasing? If the property is increasing, then yes, self-managed super fund with the leverage as well as the control and the asset protection, as we say, are the three main benefits of the self-managed super fund. You've got lots of benefits to it, but the property needs to be right. Yes, and that's probably a whole another episode about getting the right property to, to 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 get those types of returns. And of course, with leverage, you get you get the upside potential and you get the downside risk as part of it. One of the other risks that I wanted to chat to you about is let's say um, we're talking about setting up a self managed super fund for you. I'm your financial uh, planner. I've got all of this money in in this this diversified share portfolio. I'm really enjoying the fees that you're paying me as part of that, by the way. I would be kind of, I would have a vested interest to sort of keep you in this by say, saying, look, Munzerl, you know, you're talking about uh, getting rid of all of this diversified, you know, share of of, of overseas uh, listed companies, of ASX listed stocks, of, of, of cash and bonds to go and throw all your eggs into one basket with one, you know, $950,000 property. Is diversification a, a real thing that we need to think about? And, and, and do I have a point as a financial planner or am I just chasing your fees? <laughs> very, very good question. It's a hard question, right? And, and look, uh, what I say is that uh, can all taxpayers be expert on every single field of the finance world? And the answer is we can't be expert on every single field. Mm. But at the same time, what we try to do with our clients is to uh, is to help them out where there is enough level of knowledge where they can ask the right question. And we encourage our clients to ask that question exactly what you asked is both to the accountant as well as the financial planner, right? The same question applies. You as an accountant, are you establishing it because you've got a financial incentive? One is to establish this, and number two is to charge us an annual running cost. So the both argument on both sides, right? Uh, My personal view is that while diversification has a merit to it, of course it has got a merit to it. Where I struggle with the diversification on that concept is that you don't have the leverage, yeah? Say, if you have 250 odd grand, is that yes, you are diversifying in a whole lot of assets, you still are doing it at 250 odd grand. Sometimes the financial planner tries to argue, saying that, well, I invested in a managed fund, which may itself be uh, uh, leverage. So you've got a bit of a leverage through the managed fund as such. Uh, it's, I come back saying that I sort of always found in my case is that the investment that I feel comfortable, the investment that I feel that I've got my passion with, and the investment that I believe that I can add value is that that's where sort of the best return from my point of view, right? There is nothing against the shares. There's nothing against the managed fund. There's lots of my clients I've seen. They've done exceptionally well with shares and managed funds. I stayed with the property because one is that I could understand, right? So that's what I say to my client. I say that your uh, advisor may say all of those. Your accountant may say a different way. But you really, truly need to sit down and say, what is my goal? What are my smart goals? What do I wish to achieve in the longer period of time? Let's say if you're buying a property and you've got an investment plan of, say, two or three or four years, 
then I'll probably say buying a property on a self-managed super fund perhaps is, is, is not the best because two or three years is not enough to give you that level of growth. You yeah. need a lot longer. Whereas if someone comes in at the age of, say, early 40s and say, well, I'm not retiring until 65, or at least my retirement age is 65, we are all living into mid-80s, late 80s. That means I've got literally about 40 odd years. Then I do the maths and saying, well, if you're buying a million dollar property with $250,000 mortgage, and if it doubles every, say, uh, well, let's say if the compounding return is 7%, means that if we do the rule of 72, as we say, means that it will double every 10 years. So I do the maths and I say $1 million in 10 years' time. So you're early 40s and you've got about four cycles in your hand. So your $1 million now become $2 million in cycle number one. Next cycle, it became $4 million. Next cycle, it became $8 million. And believe it or not, in 40 years' time, it's $16 million. Mm. Now, mind you, $16 million in 40 years, as opposed to today's value, there is a gap, right? Because your typical cup of coffee, which costs $3.50, in uh, in 40 years' time, it probably will cost $7, $14, $28, $56, right? So mm-hmm. we got to take the perspective into account, but $16 million to a $1 million, and when I divide it by 40 years, that's a very big number in terms of the return. So it gets very hard to beat that with all the rest of the diversification and so. And then I conclude by saying this, Warren Buffett sort of a saying, right? that the old saying from the Warren Buffett is sort of say, whether we sometimes look into the diversification and we get too much into the diversification, I would much rather have all my eggs in one basket as long as I understand the basket very well, completely understand it, and I protect it with my heart and soul. And I take it to that point saying that, you know, in the property world, you can have diversification as well. You can buy residential property, commercial property. You can have a geographical diversification, buying in between Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne. You can have a structural diversification in between buying house to buy and hold or house that you buy, develop, build, renovate, sell, or house that you potentially subdivide. Some you can't do it on the super fund, we understand. Uh, but I think sometimes diversification is overplayed, my view. Yeah, look, I think you've you've if you're speaker one for the affirmative, I, I don't know what speaker <laughs> speaker one for the negative is going to come up with. Uh, we'll we'll have what you're having every everything except these fifty six dollar cups of coffee. Um, I'm not ready <laughs> oh, ready to consider my future coffee purchases in forty years, uh, if you don't mind. Now, Munzeral, we've talked about an ongoing cost of four and a half, uh, four to five thousand dollars as a as a as a ballpark, right? And of course, get your own advice on that. Um, I want to know how much it costs to to set up. We talked about the statement of advice. We've obviously got to create this thing, and I want to also ask, what is a super fund as a, a self managed super fund as an entity? Uh, what 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 does it actually mean in legal terms, and what can it it do, and what can't it do? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well. Okay, beautiful. So we'll touch two sides of the equation. One is that what is the structure to set up as well as the cost and perhaps some of, some of the positive and negative, right? It can do, it can't do. 
So in terms of the structure, you need a self-managed super fund. Then you need a trustee company. You also need a custodian company. If you are purchasing a property through a self-managed super fund, you also need a custodian deed. So effectively, your custodian company is the legal entity which will be owning the property on behalf of the trustee of the superannuation fund. Your loan would be on the trustee of the superannuation fund. Now, the reason why it is so convoluted and seems to be a bit of a complex and, and why do we have for a structure is because of this concept called non-recourse loan. In the self-managed super fund is that each property has got a simple loan and that loan is not being cross-collateralized, used or guaranteed against other properties. Say if someone has four properties and four separate loans, something goes wrong with this one particular property, that sort of gets taken away. But in theory, the other properties are safe. Outside, there is no such thing as a non-recourse loan, right? Everything is being cross-guaranteed, even if it's not being cross-securitized. So bank created that structure from their protection point of view, from an asset protection from a bank's point of view. That's the structure. And the custodian deed effectively is a contract, which is creating a relationship, saying custodian company is buying the property on behalf of the trustee of the super fund. Yeah. Challenge is because of the complexity, the cost becomes a bit. Process is you need to have an independent financial advisor to review all of your finance and give you a statement of advice whether super fund is right for you or not. How much the charge? It depends on which financial advisor. It could be anywhere between, I've seen as low as the 1500 couple of grand to as high as 10, 12 grand. I think in my experience, it's probably standard about say three, three and a half thousand is the financial planner. Yep. Then the lawyers need to set up those three structure. And again, I've seen various level of cost. Generally speaking, the lawyers sort of charges about a couple of grand. Accountants may charge anywhere between two to three grand at a start. And I've seen many accountants charging five, seven, ten grand. So your standard establishment of all of those, uh, it's a bit of a right fee in my mind, is perhaps whether it's about eight to nine grand. Yep. I've seen people trying to charge 12, 15, 18, too much. I've seen financial planners try to charge about 10 grand just to give that advice piece too much. I think it's about eight to nine grand is what we have seen is the right level of cost, makes enough profit for everyone and is still right from the client. Yep. The Why we have this, uh, uh, I suppose there are things positive and negative, right? The positive of a self-managed super fund, you've got a 15% tax rate. Mm -hmm. Capital gain, you get a one-third discount, so it's a 10% is the capital gain if you hold it for longer term. Under the current rule, if you're retiring, there is no tax. Uh, you've got the asset protection. Even if on a bankruptcy one suggests that your self-managed super fund is quite reasonably protected. So you've got that asset protection. You've got that tax planning. Of course, you've got the leverage. And you also have, uh, I suppose, your control is that you are investing into an asset that you've got passion and interest and control as opposed to somewhere in the managed one that you really don't know where it is being invested. You're relying on the management of, you know, those larger entities that they're doing the right thing and the entities are not collapsing. So you've got a bit more destiny that you take it in your hand. Those are the positive. Negative is there's no question. It's a bit of expensive to set it up, a little bit of a deed to run it. Uh, it takes a bit of time to run it. Uh, your interest rate is slightly higher with the bank um, outside the super fund as opposed to the self-managed super fund. Uh, you can't live into this property. You can't have your family, friends living into that property. You cannot do finance more than once on each property. That means you bought a property for a million dollar with 800,000 as being borrowing. The property has gone up to 1.5 mil. You can't go back to the bank saying, can I do a top up to use it to buy another property? 
one loan per property. However, you can buy as many property as you wish to on the self-managed super fund on the same structure. Uh, you can't do a construction on the basis of a bank loan. You can use your own cash to do uh, what you wish to on the basis of the investment plan. So there are a couple of restrictions, but there is a whole bunch of benefit for self-managed super fund as well, Mike. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, my ears pricked up for a second because you said no tax. Now we know we know there's a fifteen percent rate of tax as opposed to say as an individual your marginal rate of tax might be thirty seven or forty five. The CGT exemption uh, is a little bit less uh, than than you would have uh, as an individual. But I mean, this is accessing your super fund money, which a lot of young people kind of just see as this mystical thing that one day they'll look at in retirement, but active investors go, well, this is actually an opportunity to invest in another. Mm -hmm. It's almost like another version of me. I might be doing it in my family trust or my individual name, but I can also do this in parallel as well. So when it when it comes to retirement, and let's say we are wanting to, to draw down on this super fund, well, how does mm -hmm. the tax situation work with that? Yeah. Yeah, good, good, good question, Mike. Uh, I think the first comment I must say is that uh, what we're speaking are the rules as it as it now, mm. and and the government seems to sort of always play around with the super fund as, as a sort of a pocket of gold, and some of the rules and so forth may or may not change. Under the current rule, this is this is where the funding is, right? And the retirement strategy of the exit strategy, as we call it, the pension strategy, right? Uh, very complex. You've got a whole bunch of things. So we start with the age of 55. 55, mm -hmm. you've got this concept called transition to retirement. And if you fulfill certain criteria, you can draw down up to 10% of your super fund at a very nominal tax rate. Uh, uh, and you can do a bit more on the age of 60. When you go into 65, you go into a full level of retirement that you can draw down everything out of the super fund as a tax-free, provided that a certain condition that you fulfill. On the other side of the equation is that you can keep contributing on the super fund, keep running it as an accumulation stage, as opposed to taking it out as a pension stage, all the way to 75. So you can run it to 75, progressively even more if you, if we're in certain circumstances, but minimum 75, but you can start from the age of 55. And where no tax comes in is that if the super fund gets converted into a pension phase under the current rule, that all the income of the super fund is no tax. And, you know, even at 15% tax, I say that that's just so much better than your highest marginal rate, as you said, right? Or uh, even at 10% CGT, that we say is still pretty good, right? Mm. Because the lowest marginal tax rate is about 19% or so. So, you know, Mike, do I say self-managed super fund for everyone? Probably not. But do I say self-managed super fund definitely has a merit for a whole lot of people? Maybe yes. Uh, do I say that in terms of timing side of it, that there is a right level of timing when you do the self-managed super fund? Arguably, yes. Like if someone is 20s and 30s, am I really keen to establish a super fund? I don't know because it's just too early. Do you have enough fund? If someone is sort of, say, 65, 70, am I very keen to establish the super fund? There got to be extraordinary reason why we're doing it. Is there a right age? Oh, I'd love to establish if it uh, financial advisors suggest anywhere say between 40, 45, early 50s, there is enough level of time for us to do it. The point which I say is that we all living much longer nowadays. Mm. Gone are the days that we work up to 60 and we die at 65. 
or uh, the life expectancy now is 83 and 87, and it seems to be increasing all the time. So, you know, we used to be doing the financial in the planning arm of retirement of 65 years. Now we do the retirement saying 90 years. And yep. the gap between 65 and 90 is 25 years. That's a big, big bit of time. Now, you mentioned the the political uh, forces at play often tend to look at self-managed super funds as a pot of gold. We've we've had the changes to self-managed super funds in the news for quite some time now. What 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 is it that we need to understand about these changes, and and does it only affect the super rich, like uh, the the government of the day will say? I'm really glad that you asked this question. Do you know why I'm really glad? Is that it's very very important in my mind is to keep the perspective right and and not to run away with sort of, I suppose, the noises in the open world as opposed to the reality. And the reason I say this is that there is a lot of publication in terms of that $3 million funding, right, and sort of say that if your super fund becomes over $3 million, rather than having a 15% tax, we'll charge you more. And sort of uh, there's a lot of uh, anti-publication saying, oh, all the benefits being taken away, you know, it's that Robin Hood sort of a strategy. It doesn't work. It's not only the end. It's also the means. You need to look after the means. All those things that we sort of hear it and they all have a merit. Mm. But we still take a step back, say, let's give the perspective right. And the perspective is up until three mil, we're still getting very discounted rate, which is 15%. And after three mil, our, our rate doesn't increase all the way to highest marginal rate. It goes from 15 to 30%. Yep. Now, as an accountant, would I prefer to have 15%? Yes. But would I take 30% as compared to 45%? Yes. And 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 I do because we still, it is better than your 45%, right? And, and then not to give away the fact that you've got the asset protection and all the rest of it. So there is a merit to it, but do we over-consider? Probably not. Yeah, and, and I suppose if, if you have a... Th- a, a, a balance over $3 million, chances are you are earning more than $180,000 a year and you are on that 45% rate. So it, it makes sense there. So let's say um, we've got a, a hypothetical situation of a person who's who's on a good wicket, you know, they've purchased uh, a, 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 a number of properties in their self-managed super fund and they have a balance of $4 million and they reach retirement age. So that extra million dollars, they'd be paying that higher higher tax on the, the revenue that comes from that amount. But what happens when they retire? Are they still able to access all of that uh, and draw that down tax-free? Yeah, some, some of those are still going through uh, with the legislation side of it and some of the technicality that we're still sort of going through, right, uh, with the legislation side of it. But the that sort of is the understanding that, yes, uh, one is that your tax and the second is the conversion of your retirement, right, uh, that the pension phase that you sort of convert, how much of that you convert into a pension phase, right, uh, and that and and the tax rate that you sort of pay so up to that three million dollar is 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 tax free, and after that three million dollar is that there would be some tax on your exit as well. But then you strategize yourself, right? Is to say that well, what do we do? I mean, do we need to draw down? What do we draw down? What portion of it that we draw down? Do we try to draw down on our initial that three million dollars? So we're still staying into that tax free, right? So to answer your question, yes, there would be a little bit of tax on the exit. But how much is the tax? And it is still lower. 
So again, I come back to your point, right? That someone who's earning about hundred and eighty or a thousand dollar a year, chances are that that's what he would be earning on that balance. So self-managed super fund on isolation, it cannot be your entire retirement plan. Mm. But the view would be whether that stays as a strong proponent together with everything else that you do outside, and they all connect in terms of providing your retirement plan. And the way I sort of explained quite a bit is that initially someone say early 40s and mid-40s is that whether the self-managed super fund is almost a bit of a uh, supplementary, but as time goes on, it starts to become more and more and more and more and more important. And in an ideal wish list is that the retirement, a portion of income coming in from self-managed super fund and a portion of income coming in from outside. And if there is a way, why would we take away the cash more than what we are supposed to, because there is a restriction that how much you got a minimum drawdown as well. Yep. And that sort of increases as the age increase, leave the rest of the money in super fund. Mm. And it begs the question, because you're a man that I know crunches the numbers and you've just kind of said, look, the self-managed super fund shouldn't be the sole investment strategy. You're talking about people that are buying in their in perhaps their personal name or maybe even setting up a, a company or a family trust. At what point do you sort of say, okay, well, look, we've got a bit of a surplus or we might have a, a business dividend or, or an ended financial year bonus or something. How, how do you crunch the numbers to say, well, we should max out the voluntary contribution or we yeah. should invest that into the super fund to, to renovate or develop this? How do you decide which entity is best yeah. at that point in time? Yeah, good, really good question. Really, really good question. The answer to it is that rather than having a, a theoretical answer or an academic answer, what we try to do is to go a little bit deeper to the client saying that, what do you wish to do? What are really your goals and objectives are? And if the client sort of says that, look, I'd like to sell my principal place of residence to upgrade my principal place of residence, then I would much rather have more cash in our hand so that our new principal place of residence with a higher value gets paid off. Yep. And if the client sort of is the other way around saying that, well, we're downsizing, uh, the kids are grown and kids left, I've got a lot of cash in our hand, uh, then we sort of say, well, how do we use a portion of that cash both within outside the super fund? So you always start with the maximum super contribution, which is 27500 right? Yep. And the benefit of that super contribution in your business entity, you get the business tax rebate, which is 25 to 30%, whereas the super fund, you only pay 15%. So there is a gap in your favor. We sort of start with that question saying that uh, does your cash flow permit you to do that? Because remembering the cash which goes on the super fund, you can't get excess between 55 to 65, right? So does your cash flow permit it? And if the cash flow permits, there is a merit to it. We do it, right? Mm. And then progressively over time, we sort of say, well, do you have enough cash to do what you want to do on the super fund? And you may look into it and say, well, I've got enough to buy a property somewhere which is a bit of a second-graded property, you know, lower quality and all the rest of it. But if I could put in 50000 100000 on this concept called non-concessional contribution, which is a personal contribution, undeducted contribution, you can do up to 110000 right. per member, and you can roll over three years in one hit, should you wish to. So you can do up to 330000 and times that by two between husband and wife. So you can do all the way to 660, so to speak, in one, one hit. Right. And then uh, if they have enough cash in their hand and if there is a genuine logic of utilizing that cash within the super fund to do a whole lot of things, then we explore that whether there is an undeducted contribution is a benefit. I make it loud and clear that if that cash is being taken out of the offset account 
for argument's sake, and that means your offset account, your interest cost has now gone up a bit, is that uh, that interest doesn't have any deductibility because you use that on a self-managed super fund. So there is a bit of a negative cost that you need to manage. And then you sort of say that, do I have a use of that additional cash going into the super with a very specific purpose? Yes. And if it is, then we explore that. Yeah, you look at that on merit. Yeah, look, that that just sort of says to me that the importance of having an advisor who not only understands it, but face lights up when you ask the questions, such as yours does, um, is just so incredibly important for property investors to to have and to be able to rely on that expertise and that advice for someone who knows that world back to front. Is there anything else that you think before we finish up, Munzerul, that people really should know about self-managed super funds if they're looking to set it up or somebody at a barbecue or a seminar is saying, look, you should set up a self-managed super fund? Yeah, good good question. Again, my uh, my biggest tip would be is that I'm a big fan of uh, educating, 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 educating. To me, it's all about knowledge, right? It's all about knowing enough so that we can ask the right question to everyone else. So when you hear it on the barbecue, is that rather than jumping into it, what I probably would do is that I'd probably spend a month or two of doing uh, my own self-research. Read everything about the self-managed super fund. Read, 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 and then listen to all the different podcasts. So we've got enough level of knowledge in, in sort of the self-managed super fund. Then the view would be is to sit down with the accountant and say, give me all the positive and negative of the self-managed super fund. You also explain to the accountant and then to the financial planner that that's what I want to achieve with the self-managed super fund over a period of time. And once you know all the knowledge, once you quite clearly say what is effectively the investment plan, I'm very tempted to say business plan, but you can't because it's not a business, it's an investment. What is the investment plan in the longer period of time? Quite clearly having an exit strategy that I want to establish the super fund with this bit of funding. I want to buy this. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to accumulate. Then I might want to sell one or two properties, pay down the loan, have that much fund in my hand. That gives me a portion of the retirement over a period of time. You almost want your financial planner with the help of the accountant in terms of the number side of it to sort of really point that picture and and to sort of point that picture, say, five or seven years, 10, 15 years in future, only then you establish it. So you don't jump into this self-managed super fund uh, uh, very randomly. You take your time to understand it, explore it. If it is right to you, only then you do it. I love that. You know, having a plan of of what it is you actually want to achieve and investing in the education in yourself. Now, of course, someone like me can't be as clever as as you when it comes to self-managed super funds, but I could at least learn enough to ask you the best questions yeah. and, and understand them, right? So I, I couldn't yeah. encourage people enough to to invest a little bit of time to ask those those questions because that's where you'll get the best answers and you'll be a partner in your future, right? It's it's like going to a doctor, right? And and I use that analogy in my mind that while the doctors has got all the knowledge, all the theoretical, all the academics and everything else, but uh, and the doctor in theory knows my body as well, but who really knows my body the best? Mm. I feel my body, right? So yeah. I have to give enough symptom to my doctor saying this is how I'm feeling. That's what I do. So the doctor makes as much informed decision. Mm. And that is what I wish my clients do is to come in and saying, that's what we want. These are our goals and objectives so that we can put in the theory with the practicality. 
Beautiful. There's a fair bit to it, but you know the results are there, and 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 as a vehicle, there's so many positives around self-managed super funds if you're getting that right. Munzerul, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining me on the Geared for Growth show today. Thank you very much. Thank you, my absolute privilege. Thank you. Cheers.